I'll do sit down and good morning again. Most of the students are not back yet, and so the powers that be obviously think I don't have as much to do, so that's why you've got me this morning for a change. I know sometimes my Scottish accent and the speed at which I speak proves a challenge, so I'll work at uh, speaking slower and you can work at listening faster. And between us, we should do all right. This week and next, we're following on from Easter with a a couple of... Well, the title is Resurrection Realities. Uh, This morning, we're thinking about life-changing power. And then Philip will continue next week. But would you open a Bible up again back at Ephesians chapter 1? It's on page 1173. Uh, You'll find it really helpful if you're, you're able to look at that with us together. We read the end of the chapter earlier on, but we're going to look briefly at all of it. Paul talks about power here. It's in verse 19. He says, God's incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. A power that's a resurrection reality. I'm going to leave that just now. We'll come back to it later. I've never been, but I'm told the view is too much to take in. The Grand Canyon, that is. Uh, Has anyone ever been to the Grand Canyon? Yeah, a few of you have been. I guess some of you would have. I've heard that when you stand looking at it, there's there's just too much of it. Apparently from the bottom, on on average, it is 4,000 feet high. 277 miles long, 15 miles wide, and covers about 1.2 million acres. Uh, Just uh, slightly larger than some of the back gardens in Fullwood, I think. (laughs) But eyes aren't built to see something that big, are they? It's huge. And what would you say looking at a view like that? Uh, Jason, I'm sure, would describe it in eloquent terms. He always does. Breathtaking panoramas under azure skies. He'd say something almost poetic like that. I'd probably say something succinct and profound like, wow. (laughs) But you can't really miss something that big, can you? Except that's what almost happened with the disciples. The morning of the resurrection. We heard it in our first reading. Two angels had to explain to the women at the tomb what was going on. Remember, they said, how Jesus told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Or the women go and tell the men. The men think they're talking nonsense. Standing looking at the biggest view in history. And they almost miss it. The view is not just about Jesus rising from the dead. It's about all that that means. If Jesus is raised, well, he is who he says he is. All that he promised, he has achieved. So Paul, at the start of Ephesians, doesn't want his original readers, and I guess you and me, to miss the view. He takes us to a prime vantage point and shows it to us. So we're going to look at two things from this chapter. Here's the first. It's blessed by God, past, present, and future. Paul himself seems to be blown away by the view. He starts 
by saying something almost as succinct as wow, but I'll have to concede it's a little more profound. Paul, Paul looks at the view and he says, blessed. Now look at how he begins in verse 3. If you've got that in front of you, just look at it just now. And Paul says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And Paul, looking at all the resurrection assures us of, says, if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, you are blessed. You know what it's like whenever someone says, oh, look at that. You kind of follow their eyes, don't you, uh, to see what they're looking at. And as you do that with Paul, you begin to see that this view, well, it's Grand Canyon in its scale. It's huge. It covers a vast area. Uh, We're going to do something a little different. We didn't read those verses, verses 4 to 10, but if you would just now just scan through them. Don't, Don't read them. Don't take too long reading them, but just scan through them. Take in the view. Then... If you want to, just just chat with someone sitting beside you. And tell them maybe one thing that stands out in this view. So, so just do that, a couple of minutes. Scan through those verses, verses 4 to 10. And then turn to the person sitting beside you and mention one thing that stands out. This is what happens when you get the student worker up to the front. Someone told me uh, the differences between different cultures and how they respond to the question, how are you? If you say to an American, how are you? They'll say, oh, I'm great, thanks. Thanks for asking. If you say to a Canadian, how are you? They'll say, oh, I'm I'm really quite fine, thank you. And if you say to an English person, how are you? They'll say, I'm sorry, have we been introduced? Um, So I hope it wasn't too traumatic talking to your neighbour. I know you've just had a chance to briefly look through it. There, There might have been some different things that caught your attention as you read those verses. They are quite tightly packed, aren't they? There's, there's lots in them. And quite tightly packed with, I guess you'd call it doctrine. A doctrine, Christian truths and teaching. All to do with how God has blessed us in Jesus Christ. All these blessings are linked with him and therefore anyone who is a Christian. Now let me pick out a few. Three for us to look at. Uh, first of all, Paul says, he chose us or predestined us in Christ in the past. Verse 4. And a second one to look at is, He adopted us through Christ in the present. Verse 5. And then in verse 10, He'll unite everything under Christ in the future. It's a breathtaking view when you consider it. If someone asks you, as a Christian, how has God blessed you? Well, you've got to say, He's blessed me past, present, and future. In the past, way back before God made the world, that's when he started doing things for your good, blessing you. Way back then, he chose you in Christ to be linked with Jesus, decided that he'd make you someone who would be, how does Paul put it in verse 4? Holy and blameless in his sight. He decided that before he created anything. In fact, you get the impression that the purpose of creation was to provide a place for you to come to know Jesus. And in the present, his choosing or predestining you, it was with the intention of adopting you through Christ. Now God is perfect. 
He won't ignore sin. He must deal the death blow to it. But as we've been reminded of at Easter, he has dealt the death blow. But it fell on himself in Jesus. It's there in verse 7 in our passage. uh, Paul writes, in Jesus we have redemption through his blood. uh, Through that death. The forgiveness of sins. But when God forgives us, it's not with the intention of setting us free to go. It's always with the intention of making us welcome to stay. No longer enemies, but much loved family. You've been adopted. Paul reminds his readers how in verse 13 it's simply as they heard and believed the message about the Lord Jesus and trusted him. When someone does that, all these blessings are for them. And there's blessing in the future. Being adopted into God's family now doesn't remove all our problems. We are loved, but well, you have those days, don't you, when you look at the world and you think, yeah, why does it have to be like this? Are the terrible things that happen? Why can't someone impose good order in Nepal? Stop the violence. Or maybe the days when it's not the world, you just look at yourself and say, why am I like this? Why do I act selfishly? Unkindly. Why do those kind of words come out of my mouth? Why can't I impose consistent order in my life? Now we need someone to rule us. To impose good and consistent authority on our lives for our benefit. Well that's begun now for Christians. And God will finish it one day in the future. All of God's rescued creation will be united. And enjoy the benefits of living fully under Christ's loving rule. I see these verses contain doctrine that speak of God's blessings in Christ. You are blessed, past, present, and future. Some people have a funny reaction to doctrine. We sometimes think, oh, doctrine, that's too difficult to understand it. I'd best not to think about it. Or else we might think, well, it's just a bit dry and academic, isn't it? It's not really relevant. But that won't do. How are we to think about things we find difficult? Things like a predestination, God choosing to save us. All sorts of thoughts begin to go round our heads. Does, does God really choose us? Uh, then why are people responsible for rejecting him? It's confusing. Now can I suggest we're to think about these things the way the Bible says we're to think about them. Now, if the Bible says this is really encouraging, or we're not to spend more time thinking why it may confuse So don't miss the blessing. Have you ever had baked Alaska? Have you ever had baked Alaska? I used to think it was really posh. um, But coming from Fullwood, you've probably had it loads of times. But I have to confess, I'm still slightly confused by it. It's an ice cream pudding that you bake in the oven. It's odd to me. It sounds like the kind of thing invented by a teenager. I know what we can do. Let's get the ice cream and shove it in the oven. I'm confused as to how you would come up with a recipe like that. What what were they thinking of? Baked Alaska, an ice cream pudding that you bake in the oven. But every time I accept a bit of baked Alaska, I benefit from that recipe. I love it. Now, apologies for trivialising things a little, but God has a recipe for saving people. You may not understand how he came up with it. That doesn't mean it's not good. That doesn't mean you can't benefit from the blessing. Well, just think about what some of these things mean for us. 
then why are you a Christian? If you're a Christian here, why are you a Christian? Well, fundamentally because God chose you. You're not a Christian by accident. You've not sneaked in the back door. You're not waiting for God to ask you to leave. He wants you here. With all your hang-ups and problems, he chose you. You see, knowing that doctrine, it gives you great security. Are there other things that cause you to feel insecure? Issues to do with your career, your employment, relationships. Some people may be fed up with being single. Or do you have a family and the insecurity comes from not being sure how to help children grow up well? Are you coming to the end of life and wondering what the last few years will be like? Things like that can leave us feeling vulnerable. At times on our own, even lonely. A friend of mine has a, a colleague called Richard. He's one of those guys who's always having big plans and ideas for his friends. The, the saying goes, God loves you and Richard has a wonderful plan for your life. Doesn't that sound great sometimes? Wouldn't it be great to have a friend like that, to know that your, your life is not just down to you? To, to have someone who dreams big dreams for you. To have someone who takes an interest in you. Well, you might not know a Richard... But the Apostle Paul says, the saying goes, God loves you. And he has a wonderful plan. And he's chosen to involve your life in his plans. So knowing that, we well, can help us face up to any difficulty. Now these truths are, are relevant for us. This is a view that shouldn't make us say, wow. It should make us say, blessed by God. A past, present, and future. Well, here's the second thing. If the first one was blessed by God, past, present, and future, the second comes in those verses we read together from the, the second half of the chapter. And it's blessed by God, so pray that you'll know God better. Here's a thought. If you can have access to any information, what would you like to know? If you could know anything, access to any information, what, what would it be? What kind of things come to mind? Is it the winning lottery numbers? Is it will England win the World Cup this summer? I think some of you might want to know the answer to that for different reasons to me. I'll be making myself scarce. Uh, maybe some of you who have got children or, or nieces or grandchildren, will, will they grow up to play for England? Will a, will a nephew or even a niece grow up to, to score the winning goal in a World Cup final? There might be questions like, uh, what will I get for my 40th birthday next week? If you're Jason Clark, that's the kind of question you're asking just now. Or you may have more serious ones. Now, what should we do with our lives? Our circumstances may be changing. Uh, what does God really think of me? Could God possibly be able to help me change or, or want me to serve him in this situation? It just seems too difficult. Are, are there things that you kind of think, if, if only I knew that, if only I knew that, it would make all the difference for my life. See, Paul's concerned that these Christians he's writing to know the things that will make the difference. He tells them in verse 17 that since he heard about them becoming Christians, he's not stopped praying for them. And this is what he prays, he says. 
I keep asking that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's what makes the difference. And knowing God better. Now the the Bibles we're reading from, they're they're very helpful because they, they split these verses into different sentences. When Paul wrote it, in Greek, it was all one long sentence that was quite tricky to read. So it's good that our Bibles split, split it up a bit for us. But the only downside is they can make it look as if there are a few different prayers here. Just because the way they split it into sentences. I think there's really just one. A Paul's prayer is that we get to know God better. But then in his prayer, he goes on to fill out what knowing God better is all about. Are three things he's praying for these Christians to know about God. And they come in verses 18 and 19. He wants them to know God's calling to us. He wants them to know God's rich inheritance in us. And he wants them to know God's power for us. And look at verse 18. God's calling to us. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And what should we be doing with our lives? And when God calls us, he starts to give us direction. I don't mean for people starting off in careers, like should you be a policeman or a lawyer? But we'll start to see what we're meant to be doing. Do you remember back in verse 4, the start of this chapter? He chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. So whatever job you've got, whatever you do with your days... That's the direction you should be going in. Holy and blameless. Are you? Remember verse 5. He's called us to be a loved member of his family. United with others in the family. Are you? Not holding grudges. uh, Not falling out. Looking to stay united. It's funny isn't it how... For me, I'm desperate for God's guidance about jobs and careers and next moves. And then I ignore his guidance on how to treat other Christians. To getting to know God, I'll I'll see this plan he's called me into. And I'll aim to live that way. It's like this. When I was growing up, we we had a sugar bowl at home. That's how posh we were in Glasgow. We had our own sugar bowl, which contained sugar, obviously, and and the sugar spoon. Now the sugar spoon was in the sugar bowl. And you'll know the one thing you don't do with a sugar spoon. What, what don't you do with a sugar spoon? Yeah, don't stir the tea with a sugar Why not? Because it's the sugar spoon, isn't it? You've got to keep it dry. You don't get it wet. The sugar spoon has a set purpose. It's got a direction in life, hasn't it? And the thing is, the sugar spoon just looks like a teaspoon, doesn't it? It looks exactly like the other teaspoons. Well, the difference is, well, in my house anyway, uh, the difference is my mum called it to be the sugar spoon. My mum picked up one of the teaspoons and says, this is the sugar spoon. You don't put this in your tea. As you became a Christian, uh, God called you into his plan. uh, A people for himself. Loved and united. Paul's praying that you'll know God and his call better. So you'll live in the right direction. What about God's rich inheritance in us? In verse 18, he says again, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. It seems an odd thing. 
the riches of God's inheritance. But doesn't he own everything? It seems especially odd when that inheritance is you if you're a Christian. How could Christians, you and me, be described as God's riches, his wealth? Some lads, and you maybe know some, are just into cars, aren't they? They would spend all their time and money on them. Maybe that was you when you were younger. But just imagine, if you would, one lad, he picks up an old beaten-up car. It's not roadworthy at all. It's useless, but he buys it. It's useless, but it belongs to him now. He starts to work on it. Each weekend, he's there in the garage. He he puts off other things in order to do this. Uh, Repairing the bodywork. Reworking the engine. Spends a fortune on it. His friends think he's crazy spending all that money on it. He takes his time. He gets it going. Making sure it's just right. And the day comes when it's brought out. The car that he bought is on display. It looks immaculate. The engine runs sweetly. Exactly the way it should. And when they look at the car, his friends can't help but be impressed with him. He's done an amazing job. All his wealth has gone on this car. But you can't deny it's wonderful. The car is the most valuable thing he has, not just because he spent so much on it, but because the car kind of tells you what he's like. You see what Paul is praying that his readers and you and me will know? That God has spent all that he has on you. He could say he even broke heaven's bank. The Lord Jesus, his life spent to save yours, invested everything he had, and God continues to work that saving power in you. And one day, he will display his rescued and perfected people to the universe. His rich return for all his investment and work. Creation will look at you that day and say, blessed. Blessed by God. Isn't God great? Look at his work. Now tell me, what are you struggling with just now? And do you really think God is not interested? And do you really think God will not take time to help? Do you not know God? He would put off other things in order to work on you. You are where he is making his investment. And then as we finish, there's his power for us, verse 19. You stand looking at the view, God's plan in saving you, what he's called you into, and you wonder, can he pull it off for someone like me? So Paul is praying that we'll know God's power, verse 19. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. How powerful is God's power for us? He carries on in verse 19, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. It's death-defeating power, this. You can't match it. Nothing compares with it. And we're back where we started. Resurrection realities. Life-transforming power. You stand looking at the view of what God has called you into. It's still too much to take in. And then you think about how far short you still fall. All your struggles with sin and temptation. But you understand the resurrection displays the amount of power God will use to keep you safe. 
till the end with all your struggles and all the power he'll use to help you live for him. How do we respond to that? Let me just suggest three things briefly. And we should quite simply praise God for what he's done. That's what Paul does as he looks at this view. And why not take time this week to read through the start of this chapter again and praise God for the many ways he's blessed you. Past, present and future. And maybe you've started to forget. I'm thinking God's maybe let you down. Take time to read them through again and praise him for all he's done. Uh, secondly, the question could be, uh, how do you pray for yourself and your friends? Uh, what kind of things do you pray for? Uh, we should pray that we'll know God better. And know this calling he's brought us to. Know how much he values us. Know his power at work for us. Uh, living for God is not first and foremost about trying harder. It's about knowing him. Uh, and thirdly, it might be that you're here and you're not a Christian. Jesus Christ died paying the price for sin and he has been raised from the dead. That resurrection is the biggest view in history. If you don't consider it, or even think it through, you'd be as foolish as someone who stands at the side of the Grand Canyon and fails to spot the hole in the ground. Now, why don't you take some time this week to talk to a Christian friend uh, about the resurrection and what it means. Or if you'd rather, we are starting a, a course in a few weeks. Mike mentioned it. It's called Open to Question. Be investigating who Jesus is. If you'd like to come to that, then please take one of these blue cards and fill it in. It starts on the 9th of May. Let me just pray for us as we finish. Heavenly Father, thank you that the resurrection shows us what reality is. Thank you that we can be secure in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus, that he keeps us safe, and that we are blessed by you, past, present, and future. I thank you for these wonderful truths, and please would you help them to shape our lives. We ask it in his name. Amen.